0: What do you need, Cameron? A coffee. Why? Because I need to go to Orange Theory. You need coffee before you go to Orange Theory? Yeah. Okay, can you show me how to row? Row, row, row your boat, jump
1: me down the street. Five, four, three, four. Broadcasting live from the Triple D in Atlanta, Georgia, this is the Orange Therapy Podcast. What's up, Orange Therapy Nation? My name is Christian Louvier. I'm joined by the beautiful, smart, and sultry Rhea Davis. Rhea say something in a sultry voice.
2: I don't really have anything all that sultry but hey Chelsea. (laughs) (laughs) Chelsea say something. Hey.
1: Okay you didn't come through. Today we are joined by Orange Theory coach Chelsea Fisher. That's who you just heard say hey. She is a mama of two wife badass rower a uh, former college basketball star, you're not in college anymore, right? And a pharmacist, which Rhea will say later on that she is pharmacy
2: <laughs> Yes, her day job is pharmacy She's a high dollar drug approver or dealer. We don't know yet.
1: Chelsea, in what part of the country are you calling from today that you're approving drugs?
0: <laughs> approving or denying? Um, <laughs> <I didn't know. laughs> I'm in uh, Williamsburg, Virginia, which is about an hour from Virginia
1: Beach. Okay. And you're originally from where?
0: I am originally from central Kentucky.
1: And what is the former college that you uh, attended and played basketball for?
0: I loved your intro. It was all very accurate, except that you said I was a basketball star and like, that's not accurate, but I played basketball. Um, I played at Xavier University in Cincinnati for undergrad, and then at University of Kentucky, which is also where I went to pharmacy school.
2: So, you know, no big deal. No big Uh, deal. I I tried really
0: hard, but.
1: Well, the majority of people listening to this podcast did not play any D1 basketball. You played for two major programs. So uh, I would say you are somewhat of a star.
2: I would say I'm a a baller. (laughs) Thank you.
1: Everybody listening out there, if uh, you like her voice or you want to understand why you got denied a certain prescription or you need help with your rowing form, you can find her on Instagram. Her handle is Chelsea, C-H-E-L-S-E, Fish, F-I-S-C-H. Is that correct? I think so. (laughs) Um, Is Is there anything, Chelsea, that's off limits for them to
0: send? Uh. Probably not maybe some of the stuff
1: they send you, but you know, I can always block it if I need to. We, we, we did finally get our, an interesting video. <laughs> we we took, <laughs> just so everybody who wants to be a podcaster out there, it took us like 78 episodes to finally get something interesting. So <laughs> shout out to our anonymous video person. So Chelsea, when, you've been following us for a while now. Um, we're gonna cover an array of topics, including Title IX. Um, balancing the life of a mom, pharmacist, and being an OTF coach part-time. Um, but one of the things that I thought might be helpful is if you tell everybody how we originally got in touch with you and and how you came across our, our podcast.
0: Sure. Um, so I've been doing Orange Theory as a member and then as a coach for um, more than five years now. And uh, so I'm always interested in like you know, when all these new orange theory memes and different groups are being, have been created and it's just kind of snowballed over the years. And so I'm always interested in that. And so when I saw there was a podcast about it, um, I started listening and just thought you guys had a really fun dynamic. And I think I probably reached out to Rhea about one of her rowing times or something. Probably. Yeah.
2: I think it was about a, probably about a year ago. Cause I was, at, I was just thinking about it and I used the song one, two, three today for you because it was right about the 500 meter, time about this, this time last year yeah. and Chelsea, it was, it was like the night before when we were talking and she's like, well, what's your strategy? I'm like, don't die. Um, yeah. you know, I want to <laughs> be maybe under 130. We'll see. And I, I know I didn't get there on that one. I did later. Um, but so Chelsea's like, oh yeah, I mean, I really, I like rowing too. And I'm like, okay, well, she's like a tall, skinny girl. I wonder if she can like actually row. So anyway, the how next tall day, are you? Uh, almost six foot. I say I'm six foot. I'm not quite, but it's way
0: easier than saying like five, 11 and a half. So (laughs) what's huge than six foot? That's what we do in basketball
1: too. You know, you ground up. Yeah. Go ahead, uh, Rhea. Sorry. Continue.
2: Well, if anyone wonders, I'm five three and a quarter, so I'll round up to a <laughs> quarter I <laughs> um, But I remember chatting with you, and you were giving me some tips. And then the next day, you or your goal was one twenty three, right? I think and so. that I found that out, like one twenty three. And I'm like, holy shit! And so we start. I was like, you have a theme song. Just play this in your head while you are rowing. And so that's always been my song for you is a little Britney Spears. I love it.
0: And every time the five hundred meter row comes up, I think. It that and i think i've gotten that i've gotten like 123 something like three or however many 500 meter rows we've had since then yeah
2: well we have one this week i know i know
0: i'm hoping that there's like some 122 song out there somewhere because that's what i'm going for i don't know if i'm going
2: to be able to find one yeah christian will write one for you
1: Um, chelsea are you are you um deeply involved in the free britney movement
2: I'm not. I don't know enough about
0: it. It's
1: so bizarre. Okay. Um, okay. Good. i have got I at the Leon I thought like maybe I was the one missing out. Uh, so it is bizarre.
0: It seems really bizarre. Um, as does a lot of things. So. <laughs>
1: So Chelsea, I guess we over text message or DM or something, we kind of developed a relationship like, you know, we do with a lot of listeners. And then obviously you got the unique former basketball star thing going on. So you're you're a genuine star. And then uh, Title IX has always been an interesting thing for me. Um, but it's like really complicated and like the media always makes it out to be like this like simple thing. That's all about like women playing sports and it's actually a lot deeper than that. But one of the things that I said, let's have Kelsey Owen to come on about is, um, this, this past year when basketball finally came back because, uh, post COVID or post quarantine, I guess, um, the woman from one of the best players in the country, she plays for the university of Oregon. She basically said that let's get all locker rooms um, equal, uh, men and women. And, um, I, I, I thought, I think it's kind of like irresponsible. And I want to get your take on it because they report this stuff, like every basketball program in the country, whether it's male or female just has like the equivalent of a university of Kentucky basketball. And I'm assuming you actually have a great point of reference. Cause I'm assuming Xavier is nowhere near what Kentucky's athletic facilities are. Is that fairly accurate?
0: Yeah, I, I think I come from a lot of different lenses that definitely make this topic like so complicated. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, like you said, like for the majority of people, they see a headline and they're like, oh, this isn't fair for women. They need equal weight room, which was the issue that came up during the NCAA tournament. But I played college basketball at two different programs and I coached high school girls basketball. And then I'm married to a division one men's basketball head coach. So like I've seen a lot of different angles with this. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think probably to fully understand it, um, you would need like a panel of people. I mean, there are like lawyers um, who are lawyers is what most people say. I say lawyers, um, lawyers. are are experts in Title IX. And even amongst those, they have different interpretations of what it really means. And it's very complex and nuanced and equity versus equality and that kind of thing. But um, I think that it's short sighted to just read a headline and, and apply that to and, and just make broad brushes with that. Um, you know, I think as you mentioned, like the disparity of facilities in some of the major, you know, the power five conferences and the major sports there versus a smaller school, even a division one, smaller school and their minor schools or major sports, whatever the case may be, there's just so many levels. And I think that one big takeaway point that I try to like, that I, that I try to make a point of whenever I have a conversation about this is that most people are surprised to know that like the money-making sports are like non-existent at most places. There are very, very few schools where even men's basketball or even football makes any money. I mean, almost every place the the sports are valuable, but they're not making any money for the school. They're costing the school money. Now they might help with visibility and they might help with admissions if their team makes it to the NCAA tournament or whatever the case may be, but like very, very few places are any sports generating revenue. And so I think that like, that just has to be kept in mind too.
1: Yeah. So let, let's, uh, we're going to head on a few things in there because you said a lot, but for everybody listening out there, I want to, I want to clarify a few things. So when Chelsea is referring to the power five conferences, she means big 10, SEC, ACC, PAC 12 and big 12. Is that, that's right. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um. I used to, write out shit like that in college because i really hated going to class so i would just write out like sports teams and their mascots anyway um the other thing when she's talking about the disparity of making money i think um what you mean by that is they're not netting out with money they're like uh they're not profitable Is is they're essentially big nonprofits, and nobody ever talks about that they just see the, the the top line uh on on the balance sheet um and and um one of the things I remember because I was I was a, a walk on at, at LSU, LSU um, for football. It was, so LSU's football team is obviously a big deal, um, and one of the things I like every every student at, at the time. It's it's changed now, but um, up until two thousand five, every student athlete all worked out in the same cramped locker room. Like it was, and that's how most I think that's how most colleges are. Has that been your experience when you were on campus?
0: Yeah, I think at bigger schools, like at Kentucky, um, it was big enough at the time when I played that we had um, like a basketball and volleyball facility. So our teams worked out in a certain facility, but then there was another bigger weight room for the majority of sports and then football had their own. So even at a place like that, there was still only maybe three different facilities. Um, I know here where my husband coaches, uh, it's a smaller division, one school, there's um, one weight room, you know,
1: that has to be. Shared. William that. and Mary is probably most known for soccer, baseball, basketball, probably, right?
0: Yeah, well, they're most known for ne- never having made the, they're one of the original four schools who have never made the NCAA tournament. So hopefully, um, if we stick around long enough, <laughs> that, um, that's uh, a big uh, talking point for everybody uh, whenever they meet my husband. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's a small, It's we're in the Colonial Athletic Association. So it's, you know, low to mid major is what it would be considered.
1: What do you, all right. So going, going back to women's men and the difference from the student athlete perspective, what do you think is like, forget about the, I think like what you're saying is like the, the facilities and the equipment that's like so far beyond the scope of most programs, um, means financial comprehension. Yeah. Yeah. It means, um, I, I remember at one point, like LSU's nutrition supplement bar alone was like 90 grand a month, which is like that's insane. Like that's very abnormal. Um, what, what do you think could be like more balanced out in terms of, uh, as far as like the male and female treatment of, of athletes?
0: Yeah, I do. I do think it's so complicated. Um, I think one topic or one way of looking at it is what was exposed this spring when in March Madness was, um, the, the women's uh that girl from from Oregon who posted the picture of the women's weight room which was essentially like a wrap of dumbbells versus Mm -hmm. the weight room which looks like this like elaborate facility and I think that um if you just look at that you're like well that's that's not fair that's dumb and it and it should have been reviewed and like they could have avoided a major disaster had that been had they had some you know foresight with that but I think that this year was so different for a number of reasons. One is that, um, it was both of the tournaments were done in a bubble. So typically when you have the March madness tournament, like Mm -hmm. you go for a weekend, you don't need a weight room if you're going for a weekend in March, like your team is going to play two days, two games in three days at best, Mm -hmm. you go back home to your campus and then you go to another, um, site the next weekend. And so the idea of creating a weight room, that's going to facilitate all these workouts has just never been even considered because it hasn't had to based on the format. But this year they created a bubble where teams could spend up to three weeks if they kept winning at this one place. And so obviously at that point, a workout facility is important. So I think that it was new this year. It's not like they've just been like, Oh sure. We're going to put the women over here in this crap room and the men are going to get this. It's just, they were separate entities that were planned separately and they didn't think to connect with each other and be like, Hey, what are you doing? And, you know, so I think that, and they're having like people review that and obviously that wasn't well thought out, but I, I do think that that's unique and not really applicable from year to year. Um, I know on individual campuses, there's all types of disparities that some complain about. I, I just think that, um, and not to say that they're not valid complaints, but I just think that it's, it's complicated and it's nuanced. I mean, for like for example, at a lot of um, division one schools that are like smaller schools that they're places that don't make profit. Mm -hmm. their men's teams and even their football teams have to get money games so basically we go play a team from the acc and they pay our school a certain amount of money to play that game and essentially buy a win for them Mm
1: -hmm.
0: i think some women's programs do that as well but not as many so you know like there's those disparities in that direction as well and so it just it's just really nuanced and complicated and not like an easy like snap your fingers and get an answer
1: um right let's go back to your history a little bit what was your last year playing
0: uh
1: 2007-2008 so let's um so let's see Facebook goes public in like 2010-11 Instagram comes out in like 12 what do you think would have been the biggest change for you from a social media perspective if you'd been playing back then would you have gotten in trouble like, uh, like partying and like trying to like mess with the other team and stuff
0: <laughs> no I don't think I would have gotten in trouble I think that just like athletes these days are, for the most part, pretty smart about keeping their stuff off of social media. I'm sure we had to learn that a little earlier at the time. Um, honestly, when I was playing college basketball, I was uh, not doing anything to get in trouble because I was just tired all the time, um, <laughs> especially doing it while I was in pharmacy school. Now, maybe shortly after that might've changed a little But uh, It's so interesting to think about like how much things have changed just in that short amount of time in terms of the exposure and um like I showed you guys I got dunked on when I was in college so I'm sure that would have been blasted all over my Instagram and everybody would yeah. have been clowning me
1: for that <laughs> yeah. who posterized you
0: Candace Parker I mean at least it's like a, a good name most people have heard of her that follow women's basketball
2: yeah, I don't know that Christian, you have to describe the picture. I don't know that he has seen it. Maybe he did a long time ago, but describe this picture. Cause it's actually, I know it's, I know you don't like it. Oh, it's
0: fine. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's fine. I, so I was, um, I, we were playing at Tennessee, which is like the biggest, um, crowd I've ever played in front of. They're always sold out. This was when Pat Summit was still coaching. It was actually her last season where she won a national championship. Their last national championship was this season. And, um, so we're playing there, our point guard tore ACL right before halftime and we didn't have a backup point yard. So the second half was just like, we were pretty close at halftime. The second half was just brutal. They were just like, I mean, turning, we had so many turnovers. And so there was this turnover, like with somebody on our team, we were just in the half court through a bad pass. Um, they get a steal, throw it long to Candace Parker. And I'm just like running my little heart out as far as I, as fast as I can, like, even though I could do nothing about it. And she gets the ball. She actually traveled but you know who doesn't bitter. i'm not bitter or anything um and she just <laughs> so she turned and like just like without a running start just turned and dumped it and i right at that moment had finally gotten down the court like the tortoise in the hare i was finally getting there and uh i basically had to like put my hands out to shield myself from her coming down like right in front of me so she, i wasn't guarding her when she dunked but in women's basketball that's about as close to like getting dunked on as I've ever seen. So the picture was,
2: the picture was right then. Yes. That's the oh, picture of me like, chilling, <laughs> like like wincing <laughs> and
0: like shielding myself with my hands out in front. And, uh. and she like, kind of like pushes me off of her as she comes down. Cause she's like flexing and like my Jersey gets untouched. And I just, I'm just like, can I just crawl in a hole? But
1: I feel like Rhea's having way too much fun with us than you are. I feel like oh, I'm no, just happy I about it. So Chelsea, did you, did yeah. did you like hear it from your teammates afterwards about it? Or were y'all so, just kind of like done at that point? No, on the
0: way home, we were just kind of, um, we we drove the bus. Home. It's one of the only games we bus to because it's only a couple hours from Lexington to Knoxville. So on the bus home, we were all kind of like, oh my gosh, like, get us out of here. That was embarrassing. And we were sort of like had to laugh it off almost. And I was like, "Well, you guys can say whatever you want. Like nobody got dunked on in this bus." <laughs> and they all were like, "You didn't get dunked on. It wasn't that bad." And then like we open up our little like uh flip phones and see um <laughs> a sidekick. We had sidekicks. Sidekicks, yeah. So we open up our sidekick. sidekicks and uh pops ESPN. This is like the first original smartphone and you like sure enough ESPN front page is that picture. And I was like, "There you go.
2: Uh, so you're a star." <laughs> You were a See, star. I told you. I said the oh, basketball star. That was only because
0: they were the number one team in the country, and we were getting blessed. y'all.
1: Tune in to episode eighty. We're gonna have Candace Parker on to talk about. It. You know, it's funny as she probably doesn't remember a damn thing about. Yeah,
0: I'm <laughs> pretty sure she doesn't remember. She's had a few other moments since since my little fifteen minutes of fame. Um.
1: All right. So, and you were five eleven. So for female basketball. So you were like a power forward, small forward.
0: No, oh, I don't know if you can tell, but like, I have a little bit of trouble putting on much muscle um, or much okay. bulk, I should say. Um, so I was actually like a tall guard, like a wing. Um, and actually at Xavier I played point guard one year,
1: but I, I was like a two or a three. So you're like a stretch two. Yeah, exactly. Gotcha. What's a
2: two or three. What's that mean?
0: That's a guard, like a wing. So the point guard is the one and then the center is the five. And then the two and the three are like the wings. So they're like the guards that don't dribble up
1: the court. Got it. And Candace Parker received a snowbird pass and Chelsea (laughs) was late to it. What what else? You want to talk more basketball, Rhea? What else you want to go over? Back to, back to uh, orange theory, Chelsea, how did you get into the whole coaching thing? I'm Um, assuming you were a pharmacist already, right? Yeah. So I, um, okay.
0: After I graduated from pharmacy school, I was a pharmacist in Lexington at a hospital, and but I also started coaching high school basketball at my alma mater. And so, um, and then after I finished doing that, I was just a pharmacist for several years. Uh, but I joined Orange Theory when we moved to Northern Virginia, and had always like loved that style of training. I just always tried to do it on my own. Um, and so fell in love with the, just the concept and uh, I think it really for me fulfilled like a lot of the things I was missing about team sports and yeah. Christian, you can probably relate to this. It's not competitive in that same sense, but there's, you know, there, it's trackable and there's a sense of unity and accountability with it. Um, and, um, the data and that type of thing. So I just really felt like that was like filling a missing piece for me that I had missed from organized sports. Um, mm-hmm. so I loved it. And then, I, um, got pregnant and didn't really like the job I had. So, and I couldn't imagine sending my kid to daycare when I already hated being in my job. So I just decided to try coaching. And so I got the certifications and there was a studio opening up nearby and I was just planning on coaching and maybe trying to find another job, but I ended up being the head coach there. Um, so when you
1: said, you said the job you weren't happy with, that was as a pharmacist, as a pharmacist. Yeah. So Uh, I was just
0: working as a full-time pharmacist at that point and decided I needed to change. And I sort of, went over into Orange Theory for a year and a half, just full time at that point, just as a a coach and um, was the head coach at a studio there. And then, and then I got the job that I have currently as a pharmacist. Um, And so then I backed off at Orange Theory. So I just coach a little bit now.
2: So I think when people think pharmacist Chelsea, they think that you're like at CVS and you're counting out their Ambien pills, um, but you're very, cool. it's very different now. Um, and when you were in the hospital, you know, you, to some send extent. me an
1: extra dozen, by the way, if you get any, <laughs> sorry, Rhea,
2: continue. Um, but so the things that you're doing now, you're on the, on the insurance side of things, right? So it's a, a little bit different than being in um, like traditional things. I think people don't understand. They may say, okay, how does something get approved? And it goes through Chelsea. So like the drugs that I take for MS go to her and she's going to review my chart, right. And be like, this is something that they're, they're going to pay for not like super high dollar stuff. So I think it's probably super fulfilling for you to be able to have, um, to do both. You can still be intellectual, um, with all the, the review that you have to do and keep up with from a pharmacy, level and then also activity wise. And you also just got a Peloton and you follow my sister and try to keep up with her and keep up with your kids. So there's so much that you have kind of going on. Um, so we said that we were going to talk a little bit about balance. So how do you keep it all together? Um, that's a
0: a great question. I don't always feel like I do have it all together, but I, I think one thing, um, is that I'm very fortunate to have all these opportunities that I do. I love my job. Um, it's a remote position. So when the pandemic happened, I wasn't that shaken up by it from a logistical standpoint. So I feel really fortunate because of that. But um, I just take it a day at a time. Like um, every day is, looks very different for me depending on what my work looks like that day. So um, I, I, I think that being able to, like you mentioned, have um, fulfillment intellectually. Uh, and you talked a bit about what I do, but essentially it's a prior authorization review for specialty meds. So it's not medications you would get at the pharmacy, but it's medications that are um, higher dollar. They're all infusion medications where you'd have to go to like an infusion center to get them, whether they be chemotherapy, all the new immunotherapies that you see um, advertisements for on TV, um, MS drugs like Tisogary, Acrobus, things like that. Um, and so work in itself, in and of itself is really interesting. Every day I see different cases and review things that are um, unique. And I even, as a pharmacist, it's kind of sad to admit, but like almost at least weekly, I review for a drug that I've never heard of. Like that's how rapidly drugs are coming out that I have to like educate myself on this drug. And I've never even heard. Why is
1: that sad? Well, it's just sad
0: as like someone who, you know, has a doctorate in pharmacy and spent four years learning about drugs, that there are still like drugs that in my job I haven't even been exposed to yet. That's all.
1: Got it. Yeah. I would, I would think, uh, I guess my assumption is that there's always new stuff coming out. Absolutely. It's impossible though. Uh, It is. It's
0: it's impossible to stay on
2: top of it. Especially in that world. Like we have, um, You know, we have friends that have different conditions that are looking to do infusion based stuff for, um, for healing in all sorts of different capacities, um, myself included. And it's kind of one of those things where you don't think that there's a lot happening or people question, like, why is this so much, so much per month? Um, uh, but there's so much research and things that are coming out. And I think that's exciting and things that you're learning, um, about, health in general and how that can impact. I'm sure you see all sorts of things in the charts that come across your desk.
1: Um, Chelsea, you have, you have uh, two kids. So, so one of the things I think people without kids, like the, the, the dregs on society, like Rhea, like (laughs) the people out there who have no responsibilities, um, there's like to
2: do whatever I want. Yeah.
1: There's a certain part of the day, right? Charles, where like you, when you have kids, like you got it planned out and like this, it starts a certain way, just how you planned it. Right. But then there's an element where like the outside world comes in and it all goes to shit. So like how many hours a day are planned out for you in the morning as a mom, a pharmacist and an OTF trainer? Like how long does the sanity last before it's just like, uh,
0: well, that's, I mean, so relatable. Uh, my (laughs) daughter, my daughter's wake up clock Lights up at seven oh five a.m. and as soon as she comes downstairs from there, there's just no telling.
1: It's over. Got it. Over, and what yeah. time are you up every day?
0: Uh, it depends. Um, no later than six thirty. I have to have coffee before I see my kids, or things probably won't look as good. So, <laughs> um, so Ria, you mentioned like, how do you keep that that balance, or how do you strike that balance? That's key. Like, I have to have my coffee. Um, also, how do, you, how do you
1: take your coffee?
0: Um, so this, I, I, either drink it with just a splash of milk or my preferred way is I put a little splash of protein drink in it, um, like vanilla Pr- premier protein and that's it.
1: What, um, uh, how ma- how many different supplements do you take? Rhea's always surprised that I don't take any.
0: Yeah, I don't either. I just started doing electrolytes, um, because I, well, especially before we started using our fans in the studio, which we just finally did last month. But I was sweating so much in our workouts that I think that I was like my, uh, electrolytes or hydration might've been off a little. I'm not certain about that, but I just started doing electrolyte powder in water once a day on days that I work out. Um, and that's really it. I took a pre-workout before my 2k row just on a whim. Cause I had a sample before.
1: I, wait before what?
0: Before the last 2k row. Oh, 2k row. Got it. Yeah. And I did well on it. So I'm like, should I do that again? Thursday? I don't know. I'm, I'm trying to figure it out. I think, I think that sometimes supplements are a little bit overblown. Like a lot of what comes
2: from those. You can just get in good food, get in food. Yeah. So I don't really take, I don't take a lot either. I do take a pre-workout though, but Christian just gets up and goes. And even this morning I was, um, I was going through and I, I found a video of your daughter that was so cute. That was like buried in your, in your Instagram feed, but I'm like, okay, this mm-hmm. is so, this is too cute. So Cameron was how old there? She was pretty young. She was probably two. She was probably two, two two and a half. Two, and she's like, I got to get my coffee before orange. Theory. <laughs> She knows, <laughs> she knows her mama at least. So, coffee yes, is a workout I do drink, I do drink
0: yeah. coffee before yeah. every workout. Even if I if I do at five a.m., I always drink coffee first. Is you she named
1: coffee. after Cameron Indoor?
0: I don't even know how that is. So no.
1: Oh, Duke uh, Stadium. Oh,
0: oh, Cameron Indoor. Sorry, I, I was thinking of a person. Of course, I know what that is. When people ask me that,
2: I'm like, I'm from Kentucky. Are you kidding me? Of course.
1: I I'm didn't kidding. think so, but um, sorry. No. I just like the name, and it's spelled like too. Got it. I like
2: that your son's name is Bennett too. How'd you come up with that? I wish we had a good
0: story. We just really like the name. Um, we had like a girl name picked out for number two and couldn't come up with a boy one that we liked. So we we just like it. Um both of their middle names are significant, but Bennett's just a name we like.
1: Chelsea so um you're hiring coaches as well, right? When you're um like aren't you are you are you in charge like on a committee or how does that work exactly?
0: Um, no, not now. So when I was a head coach previously, when I lived in Northern Virginia, then yeah, I was pretty much the primary person in that okay. process, but now I'm not really involved in it other than like when I, when I know we're hiring, um, all, you know, solicit friends that I, or people that I know that I think would be good.
1: Okay. So what I, what I was going to ask is, uh, what do you think members would be surprised to learn about people who make it as an OTF coach?
0: Hmm. That's a
1: great question. Um,
0: I think that uh, a lot of times members are like amazed by, or that I've spoken with are amazed that like a coach can like keep track of so much that's Mm. going on. And I think that is true. Like you have to have some semblance of like complex thinking and being able to think on your feet um, and that kind of thing. But, and when you're a new coach, that's sort of all you're trying to do is just make sure you don't screw up (laughs) your timing and your intervals and stuff. But once you get that under your belt and things sort of slow down for you, I think that, you know, the best coaches are ones who can make it more about an experience than just a workout. And um, so I think the, I guess the most surprising thing that some members would probably um, think is just how much we really put into it. Like, you know, the thought, the preparation in terms of not just like preparing to make sure we execute a class well, but also preparing, like, how do we set them up for success and make them feel um, stronger and better and successful finishing a workout.
2: Well, we've talked before about how much prep you actually do, like even the night before and, um, reviewing templates and making sure that like, you know, what's coming up. It's not something that you just go into and all that is like outside of, um, outside of your hourly, Hourly rate, I guess, if you will, and creating playlists and things that get people hyped, and um, how much talking you probably do with members outside of the gym itself, um, I would think is probably pretty heavy too.
0: Yeah, it is. And I think if um, it wasn't something that I really cared about and was passionate about, it would um, be a different story. But I think you can really tell the coaches that are there for a paycheck and they're like, hey, like watching their, their clock or something in terms of getting out of there after classes. Um, but it's something that I really uh, enjoy seeing other people, um, you know, reach goals that they maybe didn't think were attainable for themselves or help them set goals that were perhaps a little bit more aggressive than they thought of themselves. And so I think just, I, I find it very fulfilling to see people be able to achieve, higher than they, they think they can. And so for me, I don't see it really as work. It's really fun for me. And I mean, that's why I'm texting you, Rhea, like, hey, are you going to do this grow tomorrow? Because this is what you should do. Like, we're, we're like strategizing how to do it and, and um, how to push ourselves
1: and push each other. And so I think it's just a lot of fun. Uh, Rhea, do you want to take the scandalous question?
2: Oh, yeah. So Chelsea, what are the scandals <laughs> that's happening in your, in your studio or other studios? Cause I know you kind of travel around and, um, you have some really special members, which you can talk about too, but give us the dirt. What's happening. Um, mm-hmm. are there like, um, side relationships? Are there people you don't like? And they, come you're in? leading
1: the witness letter, I know. The question.
2: I know I have all, I mean, it could be any of those things in terms of a scandal. Give us the dirt. Oh man,
0: scandals. You know, there's always something going on. The fact that I'm only there like once a week to, to coach like limits my exposure. And I do try to kind of be like, okay, like, let me me step away if if there's something brewing, but we're, our coaching staff is all, um, in their thirties and married except our head coach. He's the only guy, and then, and we have one coach who's in her twenties but she's like more mature than all of us. <laughs> so shout out coach Katie. Um, so we don't really have like a ton um, going on. And there's always stuff with members though. So we've had um, members who were married who are no longer married and then further relationships for both of them develop within the studio, which is, um, you know I don't see them in class and that's probably a good thing. Cause I would be like, wait, what, uh, what is going on? So I don't have any
2: really good dirt, sorry.
1: Like the married ones are the ones with the best dirt.
2: (laughs) I heard, I heard a story one time and you could probably relate to this, but, um, so the coach asked the, um, asked the the guy who happened to be in her class and who brought his new girlfriend and was like, Hey, how's. Sally, or whatever her name is, which is the ex wife. And he's like, uh, Sally's not around anymore, but this is my girlfriend. And so there's all sorts of that that oh, might yeah. happen. Like you if gotta, you don't see people all the time and you just know them as one thing. Right. And you got to, yeah, you got to be careful what you ask for when you ask questions like that.
0: So yeah. uh, I always kind of try to keep it pretty like, general. How are you? Especially,
1: especially <laughs> when I'm on the mic. So
2: yeah. How's the family?
1: <laughs> is this your niece? Oh, I'm sorry. It's your new wife.
2: <laughs> <laughs> looking good <laughs> all
1: right Chelsea. i want to switch to something more fun kentucky bourbon um yeah. so ria says you're something you swear by what is it
0: well woodford is my my favorite
1: um and that's because it's sentimental to me but bullet bourbon is probably well, wait. you can't just like gloss over that okay, sorry it, so it's a i was gonna to give
0: you a few options was it the first
1: but... night you threw up like no married to? what was it
0: So, um, so we got married, my husband, Dane and I got married in Lexington and, um, Woodford Reserve is one of the distilleries in that, in central Kentucky. And so, um, after our rehearsal or during the day of our rehearsal, we took our wedding party to Woodford and did a tour and a tasting. Um, and we got a bottle of, um, the double oaked, fancier bourbon with our, uh, names and wedding date engraved on it. And so every year on our anniversary, we have one drink from that bottle. So, um, yeah. So Dane, like after the first couple of years, he's like, well, it looks like we're going to make it about seven years. So <laughs> um, be like
2: we need to take two shots now per year. Exactly. Um, luckily,
0: a couple of years, we were able to, to milk it a little bit longer because a couple of years I was pregnant. So I had to take like pretty small sips. But um, I think we're going to need to do a return visit pretty soon to get another bottle. But that's why that one is so sentimental. But I also really like um, a lot of other ones.
1: Yeah. Is most so- of the wedding parties still friends with you
0: uh yeah we're (laughs) all really really good friends.
1: we were just having a conversation the other day about how your friends change over time totally I think
0: the younger you are when you get married like the more that that changes we were sort of both already in the stage of like okay most of our friends are married like I was just under 30 Dane was well into his 30s when we got married so like our friend groups and siblings can't change those
1: well you can (laughs) <laughs> we got ammo for that. If you go to the top nine mm.com and use code of TV 12, you can get 12% off your order.
2: Um, <laughs> but there's some other drinks. So I am not a bourbon drinker and you have told me you're like, you just let me know. And I'll tell you which ones to get. So are those are there drinks or just straight? Because uh, Christian's actually the bartender. If he comes over here, uh, you don't want me to make you a drink. I can open a, a thing of wine. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, there's a couple
0: of different drinks, um, that I really like that are bourbon based. So my, one is that I think you'd probably like Rhea is called a Kentucky mule. So it's like a Moscow mule, but with bourbon. Um, so it's got the ginger lime. So it's like ginger beer with bourbon with lime. That's really good. Iced. And then, um, I also like old fashions and, um, sometimes we'll like combine old fashioned and, um, a Manhattan as well. So that's, uh, you can get like an old fashioned mix, which is really the easiest way to do it. But it's simple syrup
1: and um, bitter. I can't imagine what your husband sees in you. You play basketball. You like bourbon. Like, <laughs> you like the whole package. You got great. You got great neckline. Like it's like cool.
2: <laughs> mm-hmm. all
1: right. Yeah, I uh, I've been on this like Sazerac kick lately. I've been trying to perfect the Sazerac, and it's really difficult. I mean, what's in that? Uh, scotch cognac. So scotch instead of bourbon, I know that's mm-hmm. like not the same thing at all, but um, I'm just, it's scotch, cognac, um, pastry bitters, uh, lemon, zest, and um, absinthe. It's really- That sounds it's really, good. Yeah, it was really hard to make, but that's not relevant here. Um, what is, um what? so I was watching a, real quick, I was watching a documentary about the history of bourbon, and what do you think most people don't know about Kentucky? Or do you even know?
0: What is this a quiz? Are you asking? No, me? like,
1: I just thought you might want to tell the audience. Like, I I, didn't, I had no idea. I always wondered that it' to Kentucky uh, between bourbon and whiskey. And then I didn't realize that it's actually written into, like, it's not the Constitution, but, like, the Bill of Rights or something, that it's, like, the official drink of, like, the of the United States. I didn't know that. Did you yeah. know that?
0: I, I don't know that I knew that, but it's probably written in something in really important some really important document that any whiskey is just basically like wanting to be bourbon but it has to be made in Kentucky to take and it
1: has to be 51% mash as opposed to like 49% mash and it's like what I, are they I forgot mashing? corn usually I think oh. it's corn. Yeah. It's gotta be corn. Yeah. Um anyway I just thought that was yeah. most people yeah. don't know that I definitely didn't know it was written into my rights that we have a national drink.
0: Yeah. So drink up so Rhea, you need to get on with it with the bourbon.
2: All right. Well, I have, I, Christian can tell you what I have here. Um, I don't even know. I have, is whistle pig, is that bourbon? Mm, Or is that whiskey?
1: Oh, all right. So
2: I'm, I have to go to the Smyrna world of beverages and get Woodford and then figure out how to make, um, and I have ginger beer.
1: And make an old fashioned.
2: But yeah, start with that. Start with the mule, the old, with the ginger beer. And, or you could get bullet bourbon. That would be on brand.
1: Yeah. Bullet has Thank a bourbon. And a
2: rye. She said, "On brand. Look at that top nine bullet bourbon. <laughs> Love it. Pharmacists, basketball, marketing, sales, Christian. Wow. Loving you."
1: All <laughs> right, Chelsea. Last question: uh, If you get to um, introduce your own bourbon tasting, what would your intro music be?
0: Oh gosh.
1: Okay, what would your batter up song be? <laughs> When you go back for the Kentucky reunion game,
0: man. So it would need to be a Kentucky-based song, which is uh,
1: not- no. Really cool. no. Which one would get you hyped? That's like up? Just your intro. What gets you yeah, hyped? I, well, you
0: know what my favorite song to like do a benchmark to, which is probably like what I can think of in this moment. I knew I mean, you were probably gonna ask me about a song, but I hadn't thought about it one time until this moment. Um, is Three Hundred Violins Orchestra? Um, okay. And like at like down the stretch in a benchmark, I mean, it just, like, lights me up, like, halfway through the 2,000 meter row, my friend who was coaching, she put that on, and she had tried to put it on at the beginning, and her music messed up, and so she put it on right in the middle, and I, like, my split time dropped by, like, four seconds in an instant when I heard that, so.
1: Got it. Um, that's better than I thought you were going to say They're going to say something like, let me clear my throat or something.
0: (laughs) (laughs) No, I mean, I don't know, like, what it is about that song. Like, I mean, it's just, like, a hype workout song for me. It's,
1: strange kind of but love it to recap the show we talked to coach chelsea fisher about uh the very convoluted ncaa and maybe not all um locker rooms are created equal um how she keeps it all together as a mom a coach and a drug dealer just kidding she's a pharmacist and her love for bourbon you can find her and tell her your bourbon recipes on instagram at chelsea chel S E F I S H. You can hit Rhea and I up on Instagram at orange underscore therapy. If you search for our um, podcast on Apple or Spotify, it's orange therapy. Thank you all for listening. We have a blast doing this. Take care.